Well, there are things that are hard to understand, and among them, well, would be trouble. Because we believe in a God who is all good and all powerful, and yet trouble comes in the lives of his people. And sometimes synthesizing or meshing that is a real challenge. In fact, I have friends who are non-theists or agnostics, and they will use that as the reason why they don't believe in God. They'll say, Mark, you say your God is all good and all powerful. Evil exists, ergo, your God is either not all good or all powerful. And while we would say, well, to be honest, the Bible is very clear from the very beginning. There's no, no, no deceptiveness or bait and switch on God's part because Scripture does tell us that life is full of trouble. And we read the stories of men and women who were God followers and they had trouble. So it's not like God has promised us one thing, promised us sunny skies, and then he's changed his mind. But even those of us who do understand that, yes, indeed, God's people have trouble, it's still a challenge when we're in the midst of that trouble or someone we're love. It's still a challenge to synthesize it and make sense of it, like, like the song we just heard. We don't understand it right now. And I want to talk to those of you who are going through something that you're having a hard time understanding right now. Because there is a part of you that says, if God loves me, why am, I, why am I going through this? Or at least if he loves me, why is he allowing this to happen in my life? We're going to talk about that today. Our series is called The Jesus Gallery, and we're looking at eight different vignettes from the life of Jesus. And the story that we want to look at today is a story about a storm. It's 12 people in a storm. You know, storms are often a metaphor for challenges or difficulties in life. And we're going to see that this literal storm has a whole lot to say to us about when we go through difficult times in our lives. So here's the thing. I'm going to give you this story in four scenes. Because I think as we look at the, as long as, when we look at the parameters of each scene, they're going to help us understand our own lives. Let's go to the first scene. And here it is in simple terms. There are people in a boat. No storm. And no Jesus. Well, at least he's not there physically. But one more time, here's scene one. People in a boat, no storm, no Jesus. It all happened at the end of a long day of ministry. And Jesus had said to his 12 disciples, Hey, guys, I want you to get into a boat. And I want you to go to the other side. I'll meet you on the other side. Well, they didn't think a whole lot about that. They just did what Jesus told them to do. They climbed into this boat and they started making their way across what we call the Sea of Galilee, but really it's more or less a lake. And they started across the lake. But here's the thing that you should understand. I don't think they were paying any attention really to what was going on in a broader sense. I mean, after all, these are 12 tired guys in a boat going across a lake and the sun was setting. It was beautiful. The lake was like a mirror. It was placid. There were no waves or even ripples in the water. These guys were just in the boat. And they were chattering. I mean, after all, what do you do when life really isn't all that threatening or challenging? They were saying things to each other like, wow, you know, we, you remember what we caught a bunch of fish over here in that very spot. I mean, four of these guys at least have been lifelong fishermen. They've made their livings on this particular lake. Others would have said, yeah, you know, what about those three guys who had the boats that used to be in the big fishing business? I heard they went out of business. Just that kind of stuff. Probably one of the disciples, I wouldn't be surprised if it was Thomas saying, you guys keep talking. I'm going to go down to the bottom of the ship and I'm going to, I'm going to catch some Z's. In other words, it was just 12 guys in a boat, no storm. Jesus is not there, but no problem. Just kind of like you and I, when we don't have any serious problems in our lives, get up at, in the morning and dress and go to work or go to school or do whatever we do. And we just live our lives as though everything is fine and 
Nothing's ever going to change. But you know, for those of us who have been through some of the storms of life, and we've lived those placid moments where we felt like nothing was going to change, when we reflect back on those times, we would say, you know, there were storm warnings if I'd been paying more attention. And there were some storm warnings that these disciples should have been paying attention to. Hey, for starters, the whole thing was kind of quirky. And if they'd been paying attention, they would have said to themselves, hmm, wonder what Jesus is up to. Jesus had said to them, guys, get in the boat, go to the other side. I'm going to dismiss the crowd. Well, we'll see in just a few moments that crowd had about 20,000 people. But if they had been thinking, they would have said something like, wow, he doesn't have a boat. How's he going to get to the other side? And why is he telling us that he has to stay behind to dismiss a crowd? We dismiss a lot of crowds here at New Spring, and it doesn't take long. In fact, in these Sunday services, there are some of you that I think even during the sinner's prayer, you'll start slipping out. I guess what you're thinking is, I'm saved, and I'm going to beat the traffic jam. But hey, you know, we had almost 14,000 people for Christmas Eve, and we have big services, and, and I've watched as the place can be jam-packed, and, you know, three minutes later, it can be empty. It doesn't take long to dismiss a church crowd. If I'd been the disciples, I'd be like, why does he want us to go to the other side? Because it doesn't take long to dismiss. But hey, that was just a slow pitch. There was a lot bigger storm warning. Something had happened that day, and the disciples weren't processing it. I had said there was a huge crowd that day, and it all kind of came down like this. Jesus had said to his disciples, let's get some R&R. And they made their way out of the city, and they went into the wilderness, but the crowds followed Jesus out there into the wilderness. And so Jesus had pity on them, and he started teaching them, and he taught all day long. And the disciples were looking around saying to each other, you know, there's no McDonald's or Chipotle out here, and this crowd could turn nasty. And so they sort of pulled on Jesus' robe and said, you better send them all home before they get hungry and turn nasty on us. Jesus said, you boys give them something to eat. Well, and they were all shrugging their shoulders, but I'm guessing that one of the disciples was a budding accountant. Maybe it was Matthew. He'd been a tax collector. But they got together, and finally one of the spokesmen said, Lord, we figured this thing out mathematically, and if we had a whole year's pay, which we don't have, there isn't enough for everybody here to have just a little bit. Well, there was a crowd. There were 5,000 men that the Bible records. But, hey, if you have 5,000 men, you may have 5,000 women. And I'll tell you, from what we've learned at New Spring, you got 5,000 men, 5,000 women. you got kids' world. <laughs> so there were probably as many as 20,000 people here. And they said, Lord, we don't have enough. And Jesus said, okay, just go out there in the crowd and see who's got some food. And they did, and they came back and... One of the guys said, well, that didn't go well. We went out there, and all we could find was one kid with a sack lunch. He has five tortillas in it and a little fish. And Jesus said, everybody sit down. And then the Son of God did what only the Son of God could do. The one who designed the first fish and the one who wrote the genetic codes for wheat, just allow the modern term, cloned it. By the time they got through, there was enough food that everybody could have all they wanted, and there were 12 baskets left over for the disciples. I'm sure they followed the kid home, and his mom looked at the kid coming in with the 12 men following each with a basket on their heads, and the mom asked the little boy, 
what's this? And the kid sits, leftovers, mom, from lunch. You know, the biggest things in life can happen right before our eyes, but if we're not paying attention, we can miss it. And I'm telling you, I think this was the ultimate storm warning. This story occurs in three of the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and John. And in Mark's Gospel, which really I think is Peter's Gospel, I think Peter just dictated it to Mark, but Mark tells us they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts, talking about the disciples, their hearts were too hard to take it in. Well, it it doesn't say that they didn't process what actually happened in front of their eyes cognitively. They did. But they they didn't really understand. And the Bible tells us it was because of the hardness of their hearts. And so consequently, Jesus does this extraordinary miracle, and they're just clueless. Sometimes miracles are not enough. As I shared, I love mixing it up with my non-theist friends. And, and they'll say things to me like, well, Mark, you're a person who believes in God. So consequently, you look at things from the supernatural standpoint. We look at things from a purely naturalist standpoint. So consequently, we don't believe in the supernatural. But they, they sort of patronizingly tell me, and I appreciate this. They say, well, if we ever saw a miracle, if we ever saw it, we could prove it. If it was ever tangible, then we would believe in God. I, I don't think that's true. I don't think that people believe in God because of miracles. I mean, for one thing, why do we just bake in the natural order as though it already exists without questions? The truth is, if we ask serious questions of the natural order, it would lead us to God. Now, I don't think, I don't think miracles are enough. I don't think miracles are what bring people to God. Sometimes it takes a storm. It takes a storm. Well, scene one, they're still out there. (laughs) They're in the boat. It's placid. It's been a long day. Everything's cool, but a storm is coming. And that takes us to scene two. And that's the people in the boat. No Jesus and a storm raging. But it wasn't any ordinary storm. I mean, after all, four of these guys at least had made their living on this lake. They had seen storms. They had been there day in and day out. But this was like the mother of all storms. And again, we're saying that storms are metaphors for the problems that we're going through. And I want you to look at four aspects of this storm as the Bible recounts it. And I want you to think about your life and the difficulties you've encountered and see if these components don't bear out. The first thing that we learn about this storm was they were in the middle of the lake. This is very personal for me. If you could talk to my inner circle who has led with me for all these years at New Spring, you would understand that they would say, Mark has said over and over when it comes to an issue about the future, I don't want to be caught in the middle of the lake. That's what I always say. I don't want to be caught in the middle of the lake. And what I mean by that is I don't want to be, I don't don't want to make a decision to do something and be so far away from the shore that I came from that I can't turn back, but I'm not close enough to the shore where I want to be to get there. I don't want to be caught in the middle of the lake. But that is exactly what happened to the disciples. They were caught in a storm about three or four miles away from the shore. They weren't close to the safety of where they'd come from to turn back. They weren't close to the other shore. And I think some of you know what that means. I mean, you're in a situation right now that if you had to do over again, if you could turn back the clock, you would have never left the shore. (laughs) You would say, I would never move to Kansas. I would have never taken this job. I would never have married this person. I would have never had kids. 
but you're not, you can't turn back the clock and you can't go back to the shore that you came from. But you're not, you're not where you need to be. You're in the middle of the lake. And that's what happened to the disciples when the storm came up. That's the first component of the storm. They were in the middle. Number two, the Bible says the waves were beating against their boat. You know, there was, a, there was an expression that was coined by DJs, but it's been picked up in movie vernacular. And those of you who've ever watched Few Good Men, you've heard this expression come up in that movie. And the hits just keep on coming. Some of you know what that's like. It's not just one issue. It's like multiple issues. And it's not just one area of issues. It's multiple areas of issues. You would say, if it had just been my health, maybe I could handle that. But it's not just my health. It's my marriage and it's my career. It's like all kinds of issues coming together at the same time. The waves beat on the boat. And then the third thing about this storm, the Bible says the wind was against them. That means the things that used to be easy weren't easy anymore. And some of you know what that's like. You're in a career right now. And frankly, I don't mean by easy, I don't mean it wasn't hard work. I'm just saying you could do it. You could handle it. But now it's like all the rules have changed. And what used to be easy isn't easy anymore. It could be that you're in a relationship. At one time, that relationship was very loving. It was easy. But now it's not easy. The headwinds are there. Or it could be, and I deal with an emotional disorder. I deal with ADD. Others of you deal with other emotional disorders. You know what it's like to just live life, and then all of a sudden, it's a hard thing just to get out of bed in the morning. The wind was against them. And then the fourth part of the storm, the Bible says they were straining, which simply means they were doing everything they could, and they weren't getting anywhere. Let me ask you, do you know what it's like to be in that kind of storm? You're in the middle, and you can't get back, and you can't get out, and everything's just beating on you. And now it's like everything that used to be easy is now hard, and you're doing everything you can just to survive, but you're not getting anywhere. Well, that was the kind of storm the disciples were in. I think it was probably about this time that one of the smarter disciples started to connect the dots and asked the question, why did Jesus... Why did Jesus tell us to get into this boat? If he knew the storm was going to come up, why did he send us in the storm? And the Bible does say in Matthew 14, 22, Jesus insisted that his disciples get into the boat. Now, real quickly, I want to make sure we understand the Bible didn't say that Jesus whipped up the storm. Storms are part of life. In a broken, flawed world, problems just come. Storms are part of life. A person could say, well, I'm not going to believe in God if I'm going to have trouble. But you know what? You're going to have trouble if you don't believe in God. Everybody has trouble. God followers, atheists, liberals, conservatives, Democrats, Republicans, Americans, people. Everybody's got storms. So Jesus didn't whip up the storm. The storm was going to come anyway. But he did insist that they get into the boat. So let's try to deal with that right now. Because, again, we're not talking specifically about boats and disciples. We're talking about you and the trouble that you are encountering or will encounter. Where's Jesus and all that? Exactly where was Jesus back in this story? It is interesting to me that the Bible is so very clear. And remember, the disciples, their hearts were too hard to learn what they need to learn from miracles, so now they have to learn in the storm. But Jesus is doing three things. Number one, the Bible says he went up to the hills to pray. This is important to me because you know where Jesus is right now, right now at this moment? He's in the right hand of God, and the Bible tells us he's praying for us. 
He's talking to God about you and me. If you haven't fallen in love with this verse yet, I hope you will today. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. The Bible says, he is able to rescue to the extreme, seeing he lives forever to intercede for us. I don't know what Jesus is saying to God, the Father, about me right now. He's probably saying, you know, Mark, he's just a total mess, but Lord, I love him. And Jesus was praying for the disciples, but he's doing something else. The Bible says he saw that they were in serious trouble. Do you, do you love that as much as I do? He saw that they were in serious trouble. And we're not talking about just natural, normal vision, because these guys, three or four miles away from the shore, in the middle of the night, in the middle of a storm, doesn't mean that Jesus was just like any of the rest of us who could have looked at him physically, visually saw them. He saw them because he's God. And for somebody who spent a good part of my life in serious trouble, it is good for me to know that Jesus not only is praying for me, but he is watching me and he sees that I'm in serious trouble. But now the third thing, the Bible says about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them. And now we have scene three, but heads up, it's a surprise. Because scene three is you have the disciples in the boat and a storm going on, and Jesus is there. Hey, why does that get my attention? Because, you see, a lot of us, we have, sort of a, we have sort of a chicken soup concept of who Jesus is. And the idea is that when Jesus shows up, that's tantamount to the storm not being there anymore. But when you look at the story, there is this season of time where the guys are in the boat, the storm is going on, and Jesus is there. He comes walking on the water. Well, this is where the lesson was. This is where the lesson that they couldn't get from the miracles was going to be. They see Jesus coming on the water, and first of all, they freak out, and they say, it's a ghost. And why, do, why do people trust foolish stuff they've been told more than true stuff that's there in front of them? There's no such thing as ghosts, but these guys had heard ghost stories when they were kids. I'm sure they, the 12 disciples were like us. They went to camp with crazy uncles who told ghost stories. And they see Jesus walking on the waters like, oh no, as if we didn't have enough trouble with the storm, now we got a ghost on our hands. And that's when Jesus said, look at this, don't be afraid, take courage, I am here. I need your permission to zigzag a little bit. It's that I am thing when Jesus said, I am here. I am is something that any serious Bible student should pay attention to. And it all goes back to something that happened hundreds and hundreds of years before this when God called a guy named Moses to lead the Israelites into the promised land. You know, when you watch the movies about this, it looks like there may be a thousand or so of them. Hey, there were between two and a half and three million Jews in Egypt. And God tells this shepherd guy, I want you to go tell the most powerful rule in the world to let his slave force go. And then I want you to lead them to a place. I'm not going to tell you where it is. Just go there. I'll tell you when you get there. And I don't blame Moses for saying to God, I really think there's somebody more qualified for this. And God would tell Moses he wanted him to lead, and then Moses would give God an excuse. But ultimately, Moses felt like he had the one excuse. He felt like he had God boxed into a corner, and he thought, I got you. See, in those days, the Hebrew people could not pronounce the name of God 
It was so holy it could not be spoken. And so Moses said, when I go out there and I tell them that you sent me, they're going to ask, what's his name? And I can't tell them, so I'm out. And that's when God said to Moses, go back and tell them, I am that I am has sent you. I used to hear my dad and others preach on that. It used to just cause me to scratch my head. What does that mean, I am? Well, actually, it's from the Hebrew word haya, H-A-Y-A-H in English characters. And here's what it means. It means the self-existent one. You and I are not self-existent. We didn't make ourselves. We don't keep ourselves alive. We don't think through the oxygen flow that we inhale every day. And three seconds after we die, we're going to have absolutely zero control of our own destiny. We're not self-existent. We're dependent. But God said to Moses, I want you to go back and tell Pharaoh that the one that nobody has to get up in the morning, the one who doesn't depend on anybody, anytime for anything, has sent you. The I am has sent you. Now, Jesus came along, God in skin, and he picked up on that. And he didn't use the Hebrew word for it. They spoke Greek at that time. But he took the, he took the Greek equivalent, which is I'm me, E-I-M-I in English characteristics. And Jesus over and over said, I am this or that. Scholars say there are seven I am's of Jesus. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the resurrection and the life. I am the vine. Those are the seven I am's of Jesus. But I think there are eight. And I think it's in our story because Jesus used that Greek word, I, me, when he said to the disciples, don't be afraid, take courage. He said, I am here. It's the I am of the storm. I mean, I love all those other I am's. I, I, I want to be part of all of those things that Jesus is, but I love it when he just says, I am here. And if you're going through a storm today, I want you to hear Jesus say, I am here. Notice that he said, I am here before he took the storm away. Because the disciples didn't need to know that the storm was over. They needed to know that Jesus was there. There's one more thing about this scene of disciples in the boat, the storm going on, and Jesus being there. I know this because I've lived it, but I want to share it with you. And, and here's the thing. This, this won't be for everybody here because in our world today, there are some people, even Christians, who are fine as long as, as, long as the money's coming in and bills are paid and they can take time off. They're, they're pretty fine with just living the ordinary Christian life. But there are some of you who want to know God. You don't just want hell insurance. You want to know God. You want to follow God. I want to talk to you for just a minute. Storms are interesting. Storms give opportunity for God's children to do things in the storm they couldn't do at any other time. I don't know that much about, about birds, but I'm told that most birds, most animals will run away from a storm, but not eagles. Eagles will use a storm. When a storm is coming up, an eagle will fly up to a distant high perch and wait for those first currents off that storm to come, and then she will lock her wings, as God has made her able to do, and then she will take off aloft and she will soar along those currents that are the outer edges of a storm. 
<laughs> well, in the boat. I don't know that you could call him an eagle. He's an eagle in training. He's an eaglet, maybe. But in the boat, there is an, a little eagle named Peter. And he sees Jesus walking across the water. And he says to him, Lord, if it is you, give me the order to come to you. You have no idea what I'm about to talk about unless you grew up in church and you're over 55. When I was a kid growing up in church, we had some, we didn't have digital equipment, we had prehistoric kids' world. And we used to have something called flannel graph. Like I say, if you're under 55, you have no idea what I'm talking about. It's some well-meaning teacher with this board covered with flannel and flannel figures that she would put up on the board to teach the lesson. And I remember being a little kid when the teacher was teaching on this lesson in flannel graph. And, you know, there was a boat up there and the disciples are in the boat freaking out. And along comes Jesus walking on the water. And she puts, there's Jesus. Do you see Jesus walking on the water? And now here's Peter getting out of the boat. And Peter wants to walk on water. That's not true. That's not right. I mean, Jesus wasn't walking on the water for the cool factor, and Peter wasn't trying to get in on the cool factor. Peter just said, Lord, if it's you, let me come to you on the water. This may be the biggest part of today's message. What was Peter doing? I think when he asked Jesus to let him walk to him, he was saying, all my life I thought about security in storms because Peter is a fisherman being in a boat. But Peter was saying, you know what, now that I think about this, it looks to me like it's safer being out there with you on top of the waves than inside this boat that I've always considered my security. I mean, it wasn't like the boat belonged to Bartholomew. I mean, Peter could have been saying, hey, Bartholomew, you got a ratty boat here, and I've had about all this boat I can stand. It was Peter's boat. And Peter was like, Jesus, I'm safer out there with you than I am on what I used to think was security. I'm talking, <clears throat> I'm talking to someone here today, and you're 20 years old, and you're like, Mark, I don't really believe in God. I've looked at the, I've read on the internet and I've been, you know, I've been to college and I just think you guys are like living a pop dream and I just really don't believe that there is a God. And this old boat's, this boat's fine for me right now. I dig, but I'm going to tell you, there's going to be a storm coming up. <laughs> and that old boat that you think is going to hold you up, the, the flimsy logic that so, right now seems to make sense, it's not going to make sense anymore. Or it could be that you have a great job and you say, Mark, I've got hundreds of thousands of dollars in the bank and I'm fine. I can deal with whatever comes up, but you're going to go to the doctor someday and you're going to be in a storm that your money can't fix. And you know what you're going to have to do at that moment? You're going to have to trust God at his word. And you know what you're going to say? It looks safer out there believing God than it looks being in this boat that's about to go down. Hey, why did Jesus walk on the water? Good question. I mean, after all, he could have flown there. He could have just like snapped his fingers and been there. Why did he walk on the water? That wasn't for him. It was for the disciples. Because water was what they were afraid of. Water was what they thought was going to take them down. And yet Jesus was proving that what they were afraid was going to be over their head was under his feet. This is a little personal. Please don't get offended at me because I know, I understand it's a complex thing, but I, I, I'm almost troubled 
listening to Christians around me today because Christians look at this world that's, I, I agree with you, it's falling apart, the wheels are coming off, but Christians are like, did you read this article? Did you see what this politician said? Did you see? And, and, and it's like, and it almost kind of like brings me down and I want to say, wait a minute, don't we follow the Son of God who is greater than anything going on in our world? And didn't he say he was coming back? It was like, oh, I watch Fox News. You know what I saw on Fox News? Or I watch CNN. You know what I saw on CNN? Hey, why don't you get in the WORD and decide whether you're really a Christian or not? Because my, my, sorry, my Savior, my Lord and Savior walks on the stuff that everybody else is afraid of. Some of you are going to send me a letter I'll never see. <laughs> I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm just saying, hey, it's time. It's time for us to learn the lessons that God wants us to learn. Well, the Bible says when they climbed into the boat, because Peter had a little issue out there on the water, the wind died down, and those that were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you're the Son of God. And when they had crossed over, they landed. Well, scene four, people in the boat, Jesus is there, and no storm. Two things happen. Number one, they, they wound up on the other side. They landed. And then the second thing is they worship. Now, this is number three. When the disciples were in the worst part of the storm, what was it they wanted more than anything else? They wanted to land. If you're dealing with a health crisis, you want to be well. If your marriage is freaking out, you want it to be sane again. If your kids are on Mars, you want them to come back to planet Earth. You want to land. If you're going through an emotional disorder like I deal with sometimes, you want to be able to think clearly again. You want to land. But 30 years after this happened, when Peter and John and others were telling the story, do you think they said, hey, guys, let me tell you a story. We were in this terrible storm, and guess what? We made it through. <laughs> I told everybody we were in the storm. We didn't get it. We, we weren't. The miracles were just, we were phasing. We were in the storm of a lifetime, and we were in so much trouble. And Jesus was praying for us, and he saw us, and he came. And in the storm, we got to know him like we never knew him before. And we worshiped him. That is the lesson of the storm, is that Jesus is there. I want you to hear a song. Because if you're in a storm right now, it could be, Mark, this whole thing is just, I want the storm to be over, but... I want you to realize that when you're in the eye of the storm, there are some things that you can celebrate and hold on to. I want you to listen to the New Spring Band as they sing, In the Eye of the Storm. In the eye of the storm, you remain in control. In the middle of the war, you guard my soul. Cause you alone are the anchor When my sails are torn 
and your love surrounds me in the eye of the storm. And when the solid ground has fallen out from underneath my feet, between the black skies and my red eyes, I can barely see. And when I realize I've been sold out by my friends and my family, I can feel the rain reminding me in the eye of the storm, you remain in control. far from me and I'm running out of faith. I see the picture, I see a future slowly fade away. And when the tears of pain and heartache are pouring down my face, I find my peace in Jesus' name is in the eye of the storm. You remain in control in the middle of the I've only got a few months left It's like a bitter pill I'm swallowing I can barely take a breath And when addiction steals my baby girl And there's nothing My only hope is to trust in you Yes, I trust in you, yeah In the eye of the storm You remain in control In the middle of the world In the middle of the voice, you go my soul, cause you alone are the anchor when my sails are torn, and your love surrounds me in the eye of the Let's just stay together for another minute or two. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or anything like that, but if you're going through a storm right now, we want to pray for you. 
You say, Mark, I'm not going through a storm. Well, then you just pray for the person on either side of you, in front of you, and back of you because somebody around you is going through a storm. And one more time, I want to say it. You're either coming out of a storm, going into a storm, or you're in a storm right now. You say, well, Mark, how will you ever know what my storm is? I may not, but the Son of God who loves you and who has the power to help you He sees you, he's praying for you, and he will come to meet you in your storm. Let's pray together. Father God, look at your people today, those here in auditoriums or those watching online or on television. And oh God, I pray that you would hear the anguish of their heart as they call out to you in prayer. Lord, you know the pain that they feel. And I pray, God, that they will know that Jesus is praying for them. And we ask that Jesus will come to meet them and that they'll recognize him even though the storm may be going on. Help us, help your people, oh God. We live in dark days, and yet you know everything that we experience. And our eyes are upon you, and we're looking for the Savior who comes from heaven, our great hope. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Just pray one, one more time, please, with me. You know, we've been talking today about trusting Jesus. Interesting, isn't it, that trusting Jesus is the way you get into heaven. It's not in joining a particular church or becoming an adherent to a religion. It's by putting your faith in the person of Jesus. Scripture tells us that we're eternally separated from God because of our sin, but God didn't want it to stay that way. So he sent his only son into the world, God in skin. For 33 years he lived and never did anything wrong and then laid that perfect life on a Roman cross. And for six hours he hung suspended And the blood that poured out of his body, according to the way God saw it, was a currency that paid for your sin and my sin. So much so that God could say that eternal life is a free gift for anyone who by faith will invite Jesus in. So here's what I'm going to do. Since the scripture says anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, I'm going to pray a prayer. And you can decide if you want to say these things. I'll pray it really slowly. Because what matters is not the exact words, but what you feel in your heart. And I'll pray it slowly, and you can decide if you want to own the lines and say them with me. Dear God, I am a sinner. I can't save myself. But I believe you love me anyway. I believe Jesus died to pay for my sins. And I believe he arose from the grave. And since Jesus is alive, I want him to be my savior. Would you forgive me? Would you adopt me into your family? I trust Jesus alone. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you just prayed that prayer with me, I have a gift box I want to give you before you leave campus. It's got a a Bible just like I preach from or like we send to the prisoners. There's also a little book that I wrote that will answer a lot of questions. And some other cool stuff. And all you got to do, you can take the card in the back of the seat in front of you, the talk to us card, and go to any info center. Even if you can't find a card, don't worry about it. Just go to any info center and say, I pray with Mark. They won't hassle you or bother you. They'll give you that box. Thank you for being here. Next week, we have another installment of the Jesus Gallery. God bless you.